how can I advocate? That's maybe the closest I could get. Maybe I can't eradicate poverty, but maybe I could serve this person or that person or volunteer. We can't do the God-sized stuff. We wait, we long, we ask for His coming. Even on some of those judgment pieces we're not sure about or don't know how to handle. You handle all that, but for right here, right now, these things that you care about, God, I want to care about. Welcome to Faith Refresh, where we take another look at the Bible passages, beliefs, and other church stuff you've probably heard a million times and find something fresh. Hello and welcome back to Faith Refresh. It is episode 14, Anson and Chaplain Justin with you yet again. And today we are tackling a topic that uh, could get a little touchy. Yes. Not between you and me, I don't think. Yeah, we'll I, see. I think we'll be good. Yeah, I'm okay with we'll it. We'll see how we're I'm doing here, for here in about 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in our last episode, we talked about the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. In a previous episode, we talked about heaven. And there were a couple of recurring themes that you and I picked out that have been woven into some of these discussions that we thought it might be good to dive in to just a little bit deeper. For example, the woman at the well, there's issues of race. Yeah. Yes. Issues of gender, of yes. social economic mm-hmm. status, and how Jesus engages despite the presence or because of the presence of those issues. Right. In the Heaven episode, we discussed a book by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. It's kind of interesting, maybe not necessarily what you would expect from a book about heaven, but in the latter stages of that book, N.T. Wright makes the argument that one of the reasons why it's so important for us to have a proper understanding of what the afterlife is going to be like is because it creates this impetus to engage in social justice mm-hmm. right now during right. our yeah. present life, right? Mm-hmm. So there it is. I uttered the phrase <laughs> there it is. social yep. justice. That's true. I'm just imagining that if you hear me say that phrase, social justice, depending mm-hmm. on where you find yourself in the like American political spectrum, mm-hmm. if you find yourself to be more politically conservative, you may hear that phrase and instantly the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Right. And you yeah. go, ah social justice, right? We need to stay as far away from that as possible, right? There's a nefarious agenda that some people have that involves that phrase. It's a nope from me, Mm -hmm. okay? On the other hand, if you find yourself more on the uh, left-hand side of the American political system, you might hear that and go, yes, social justice. This is something that we need to center, that we need to elevate in terms of importance. Mm -hmm. In fact, this is one of the most important things, maybe, that we could be spending our time on. And then it does occur to me that there could be a third response. You might hear the phrase social justice, and you immediately think of person number one and person number two that we just described. Right. And you go, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to get in the middle of that yeah. conversation. All I know is it's tense. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conflict over mm-hmm. this. And I'm kind of tired of all of the conflict and disagreement. And maybe we could use a word like hatred even. Yeah, sometimes. And yeah. go, you know what? I would rather just disengage from mm-hmm. that entirely. Mm-hmm. That said, when we look at, for example, the woman at the well and Jesus in that story, the one thing we do have to say, I think, is that Jesus engages. Yes, right? yeah, very and intentionally. Yeah. It might be tempting to think that this idea of social justice is a very modern idea. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the way that the phrase is being used and some of the like theories and things attached mm-hmm. to it right. and, and areas of study, in some ways, a lot of that is very 
contemporary. But other core ideas of social justice, care for the poor, for the oppressed, these types of things, those are not new concepts at all. And in fact, the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, has a lot to say about a lot of those issues. Now, is the Bible's version of social justice the same as our modern culture's definition of social justice? Not necessarily saying that, Mm -hmm. but certainly saying it's hard to deny that these things aren't present in yes. scripture, right? Maybe even very present. Yeah. If you're just to do in a Bible app or online, a search for phrases like the poor, mm-hmm. the weak, the sick, the needy, the brokenhearted, you're going to come up with a lot of references. <laughs> right. Yes. And God is a God we learn from near the very beginning of the story. He's a God that hears the cries of his people. And he's listening, and he wants to intervene redemptively in that. So the question becomes, well, what does that look like? And then what role do I have in all of this and what he's up to? Mm-hmm. What does that look like then? And then you're trying to imagine what might that look like now. Right. Yeah. How would Jesus step into these issues of social justice today? Right, yeah. Right? We get an example maybe at the Woman at the Well episode or some other stories that we see in the Gospels of Jesus engaging with these concepts and ideas, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of disagreement about how that would play out in our modern context, right? right? right, So what would it look like for Jesus to be involved in this conversation Mm -hmm. that we're having as a culture today? Where would he come down? It's a very interesting question. Yeah. And even say like there's, you know, the gospel message, the gospel ethic, and sometimes some of us might be, especially those conflict avoiders, could these both go together somehow? Like, mm. but you don't want to get in the middle of the fight. And so I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of out of here, you know, what would Jesus do versus what did Jesus do for us? And so gospel message versus gospel ethic, it logically doesn't seem like it would be so conflicted, but theologically, historically, yeah, it has been messy. Yeah. That's really interesting. That framing gospel message versus gospel ethic. Mm -hmm. And it seems like just another one of these examples of issues that have become very binary over time. We've kind of just divided into two camps Mm -hmm. and we've kind of said, all right, pick your side. And other than maybe that option of trying to disengage altogether, Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like there's like these two centers of gravity that are just pulling at us. And at some point or another, we've got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Is that a false binary? Yeah. Or, or is is there something to this idea that we have to make a choice between message and ethic? Yeah. Another way, like even those terms like message and ethic could be a little abstract. Sure. But, you know, one thing I've heard, say from someone who's really embracing this idea of social justice, might say, loving your neighbor as yourself is the gospel, Mm, mm -hmm. is the good news of Jesus. And I would say, like, have we fallen short of that at any time? (laughs) Yeah, Uh yeah. So do we aspire to that ethic? Is that really what Jesus came to do and to say to us? I might say that Jesus is the only one who has loved his neighbor as himself, Mm. sacrificially. So he has done that perfectly for me. But now the question becomes, as I embrace that, do I also want to follow him in right. loving my neighbor as myself? You know, so... Yeah. So since he did it, now I don't have to worry about... Yeah, well, that wait, would no, be... That's, no, that's yeah. not quite right either. But that is a little bit of the way that it can go sideways. Mm. And so it is something worth considering and saying, okay, 
God, what do you think about this? Like, try to try to help us out here because yeah. it is messy on the ground. When we go all the way back to Exodus, mm-hmm. we are learning about a people who has been oppressed, right? Yes. And that yep. God is rescuing from oppression. Would you say the Exodus story is a good place to start here chronologically? Yes. I mean, the Exodus story is the first place where we kind of get to know God on a first name basis. Mm. So before that, you have Elohim, which is God in general, the word, you know, God, but he introduces himself to Moses as Yahweh. I am that I am. Always have been, always will be. Get used to it. I'm God, like (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. So, okay, now we know his name. He's introducing himself more intimately, more closely. So, Yahweh, what are you like? What are your priorities? Apparently, one of the first on his list is to fulfill the promises that he's made to Abraham through his people and through his lineage. In so doing, he's like, I hear the cries of my people that have been enslaved for 400 years, and guess what? That stops. There the battle lines are drawn. Mm -hmm. So we get this picture of a people who was oppressed, who was marginalized, Mm -hmm. and we also start to see this revealing of an aspect of God's character. Right. His justice. Justice. Right. And we could even go back pre-Exodus to the flood, to to other Genesis stories, right? But all throughout the Old Testament, we see this theme of the importance to God of justice. Mm -hmm. I want to talk just for a moment about that word, Justice. Um, justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And specifically that word as a character trait of God, of, mm-hmm. of an aspect of his character, mm-hmm. that God is just. Mm-hmm. Like, What are the implications that God is a just God? Well, that's huge. And to be honest, this has been an aspect of the character and nature of God that I probably have wrestled with mm-hmm. just personally the most. Like, He's lifting up those who have been oppressed and bringing conviction to those that have oppressed them. <laughs> conviction uh, is almost yeah. a nice way of exactly. putting it. Exactly. Right? I kind of struggled like, to yeah. find the right, you know, <laughs> yeah. soften it a little bit. Let's be honest, like in some of those passages and in, in the minor prophets and mm-hmm. in other places as well, the judgment is harsh angry, and severe. Yes. I was just uh, reading a little book, only three chapters in the minor prophets, the book of Zephaniah. Yes. And yep. some of the most intense images of God's justice, I feel like, are found mm-hmm. in that book. He talks about pouring out a fire of indignation yes, yeah. on these nations that have turned their back mm-hmm. on God, that it's going to be a consuming fire, mm-hmm. right? Those are harsh words. And those are, those are the parts where I would just, okay, so you have this care for the poor and the, the ones who are oppressed on one hand. On the other hand, you have this indignation, which mm-hmm. is by definition a righteous anger, mm-hmm. a wrath even. Okay, how do these two things go together? Yeah. And I really wrestle because it's hard to stomach those images right. for me at times. And I had to ask the question, okay, like my categories for justice aren't working so well. Mm. So I just opened myself to, God, you teach me about justice because trying to see you from my angle has is, <laughs> is been tough. Yeah. I'm having a hard time reconciling these things, but... Maybe what you mean by by justice it can clarify my own view on it, and that's what I felt like has happened 
over time, little by little. Something that has kind of helped me, I think, in that vein is, you know, we've had some of these social justice movements in Mm -hmm. our own culture Mm -hmm. over the last however many years. There are a lot of different opinions about some of these movements, both for and against them. But as I've borne witness to certain groups, listen to them talk about the oppression that they have faced. It kind of helps me a little bit to place myself into the shoes of an oppressed group of people Mm -hmm. or an oppressed person. And part of why I wonder if why I feel like it's been kind of hard for me to get up until this point is because I don't really feel like I've been that oppressed (laughs) in my own life personally. I've never been a slave in Mm -hmm. Egypt. So that indignation, that righteous anger Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily something that I've felt. Mm -hmm. But if I had been put into one of those situations. If I was enslaved by the Egyptians along with the rest of Israel, Mm -hmm. I might be right there cheering God on as he talks about sending plagues and apocalyptic stuff and wiping people out, right? So like this apocalyptic language Mm -hmm. and this righteous anger, it can be kind of off-putting to us, especially if we're not thinking as somebody who has been oppressed. Mm -hmm. But if we place ourselves into these shoes, right? If if we're one of those people during Zephaniah's time who is poor and who is getting taken advantage of Mm -hmm. by the Assyrians or by my own king and uh, I'm being cast to the wayside and my Mm -hmm. rights are being taken away and I'm not being loved and cared for like the law of Moses says I should be. Exactly. Well, then maybe I'm a little bit more of a fan of God's justice. And also that sense of helplessness where I have no recourse. Uh, Yeah. They are stronger than I am. So they have clout. Maybe it's royalty. Maybe it's the religious authority. Maybe it's resources. Maybe it's economic. You know, those kinds of things where it's just, these things are wrong and I cannot do anything about it. And so that's where the cries, the laments, which, you know, scripture is full of, come up. They come out of our hearts to God like, I can't do something. You do something. You know, I'm very thankful to know God is someone who hears those cries and who responds. At certain times, against the great wickedness that we have seen in the world throughout the ages, He will avenge His people. He will not only lift up the humble and the ones who need help, He will also avenge them. He will stand up for them. That's one of the anthems of social justice is advocacy. And so here on the divine level, this is what standing up for those who have been oppressed looks like. And yeah, it's big. It's going to be God-sized. Yeah, It should be. Who else can stand up to these emperors but God? And he has again and again, and he will fully and finally one day when he returns. I think one thing that tends to get us is we read these kind of big declarations of justice, Mm -hmm. right? And we, we understand, okay, this is an aspect of God's character that he is just, but it still feels like this major contrast between like the God of the old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then the picture that we get of Jesus Mm -hmm. in the new Testament, Mm -hmm. right? Talking about love and he comes in peace and not as like a militaristic figure bringing like an apocalypse in his wake, at least not in this coming. Right. Right. Yeah. There's this struggle that a lot of Christians have where we kind of go, okay, so God is just, but how does that square with 
love and mercy yes, and grace. Yes. We know that those are aspects of God's character too, mm-hmm. right? And yet so much of this fight, like we've been talking about, you know, these issues feel like these like binary things where you have two things mm-hmm. that are opposed to one another. It almost feels like you could say that about justice and love mm-hmm. or justice and, and mercy or grace, right? Yeah. Like God is this and he's also this, but how do those things square with one another, yes. right? Surely God isn't opposed to himself. Mm-hmm. And if we come to the conclusion that that is the case, that God is opposed to himself right. and that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is is not the same God, mm-hmm. that's probably what leads a lot of people to eventually their whole faith unraveling, yeah. right? Because like if we would come to realize like, you know what, I can't just pick and choose the parts of God from the Bible that I like or mm-hmm. that appeal to yeah. me personally. It's kind of an all or nothing kind of a thing. Yeah. And if I can't accept this, maybe I can't accept any of it. So that, that feels like a real fulcrum to me, like a really important point of like, how do these two aspects of Mm -hmm. God, which seem so opposed to one another, how can they coexist? Yeah. You know, we mentioned it where sometimes we see things at first in scripture itself that seem to contradict. Yeah. And then you wonder like, well, if there's a contradiction, it's not true. Therefore I'm out. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, one choice. Or you could dig in and say, Maybe there's more to this. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way that these actually are in harmony with one another. And I would say the same thing when it comes to the character and nature of God, because mercy is to not give what's deserved, to relent. And grace is to give what is undeserved. And justice is to get what's deserved, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Is there a contradiction here? Our tendency is, I think we define justice in our present moment as something like fairness, mm-hmm. something like equality, which are important values. Mm-hmm. But I would not say, my take, that those are equal to the word justice. I think there's way more to the story, especially when the God of Scripture is involved. And one of the phrases that comes back again and again, which I think brings his care for the oppressed on one side and his severe judgment on the other side is he humbles the proud and gives grace to the humble. Mm. You see that played out again and again, and that for me begins to pull these things together. Like say the Pharaoh, you know, in the Exodus story, he is going to humble the proud. And Mm. you see that Mm -hmm. dramatically, severely. Yeah. And he's going to give grace to the humble at the same time. And I think that that's the kind of movement that he is up to throughout human history, but fully and finally will set right Mm. once and for all. And that's where it connects with heaven and that that vision and how we might prepare and anticipate what that might look like. Heaven on earth, how could I be a part of that here and now? But there is aspects, especially on the national historical empires that have come and gone it's so far out of our control and our ability to change. God, you said it right somehow. And that became more and more as I explored justice and even, you know, in different ways was hurt myself by things that are unfair or whatever. In my own story, began to say, you make it right. I'm giving it over to you. Maybe some of these images I don't understand, but maybe in God's good hands, he knows what to do with that level of indignation. Yeah, I really like what you said there, God humbling the proud, giving grace to the humble. And what I think of in that example of Pharaoh uh, is you can't really have 
one of those things without the other, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a situation where you have a a husband and wife and one is being abusive towards the other, Mm -hmm. ultimately we would hope for redemption for the abuser, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That that person would come to see the error of their ways and to repent of Mm -hmm. those ways and to move in a different direction. But you can't really have that until the first step has to be to take care of the abused person Mm -hmm. and remove them from the situation, right? Take the oppressed person Mm -hmm. and give grace to the humble, right? right? Each of those things is kind of almost required to be able to to do the other. Mm -hmm. Like they, they both lead into one another. I mentioned that I had recently been reading the book of Zephaniah. I didn't expect to make Zephaniah this big of a part of this podcast. But, but it's a big but theme. It, it really yeah. does fit. As this, I highly recommend it. You can read it in like five minutes. That's a true. Short book. Short book. Intense, um, but short. Yeah, yeah, but it starts out super intense. And then the end of the book, there's this beautiful poem that talks about basically what you're talking about, like grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And I was just struck as I was reading it. You really, truly can't have one without the other, right? Mm-hmm. So like from that book, I would almost define like God's justice as like God is not going to stand idly by and allow human violence mm-hmm. and oppression, right? But then God also, at the, we see at the end of the book, wants to create a world where human flourishing is possible. Mm-hmm. And yes. human flourishing and violence and evil cannot yeah. coexist. Nope. One has to be removed so the other can be mm-hmm. built up. For this one to be built up, the other one has to be removed. Mm -hmm. And so it's not placing one above the other. It's just saying both of these things kind of flow into each other. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. really can't have one without the other. And that idea just suddenly kind of clicked into place for me Mm -hmm. and, and helped me kind of reframe uh, just all of that in the Old Testament from, is God bipolar or something? Mm -hmm. Because he swings from you know, fire and brimstone to Mm -hmm. peace and rainbows, or do these two aspects of God's character actually serve one another? Are they they working together to accomplish Mm -hmm. something? Yeah, he is setting things right. And this gives some language to what that setting right entails. He's humbling the proud. He's giving grace to the humble. You know, ultimately, Jesus is going to return and set those things clearly right forever. But there's also those aspects of judgment in his first coming. You know, the Gospel of John comes to mind. The judgment is this, John says, the light came into the world and they loved the darkness more than the light. And he's talking about his own people coming Mm -hmm. to him. And basically just by Jesus being there and some seeing the light and being drawn to it and some saying, no, I'd rather go into the shadows. That is a kind of justice. That is a kind of picture of he's humbling the proud and giving grace to the humble. No matter what, reality breaking in has a way of drawing lines. And if we don't like drawing lines, then we're going to be pretty upset Mm. with anything that approximates truth Mm. that we don't want to hear or don't want to accept because it kind of rubs us the wrong way. And that's on either side of the spectrum in between or, you know, whatever the issue is politically or otherwise. I think that that's important to realize is that even in Jesus' coming, there's, a, there's an aspect of his justice proving itself or showing itself in that there's a divide between those who want to be in his light and around him and those that don't. And so on the bigger stage, like you were talking about, it's not only that evil needs to be eradicated so that there can be flourishing, the sticky part is that it's not just concepts. People are involved. Yeah. 
Human beings are involved in all of that. We're made in the image of God. We have the same longings for mercy and grace for everyone. And yet, what if someone does not want to come? In fact, they want to go down kicking and screaming for all eternity, and they want to bring as much harm as possible. That is a reality. We have historical examples on top of historical examples of evil and hurt and oppression done with smiles. And so it's like, if God doesn't intervene, then can he be good? Can he even be merciful to those who need mercy? Can he even be gracious to the humble? Unless, like you said, he deals with this And on certain levels, the dealing of it is, by definition, going to be severe because the oppression has been severe. To right those wrongs is really intense. The evils that have happened, they're not theoretical. They really have happened. And then, God, what would it look like for you to set this right and save these people? Part of it will be he will avenge. And if I can't do that in this, you know, life— how can I advocate? That's maybe the closest I could get at Mm. times. So maybe I can't eradicate poverty, but maybe I could serve this person or that person or volunteer. We can't do the God-sized stuff. We wait, we long, we ask for His coming. Even on some of those judgment pieces we're not sure about or don't know how to handle, you handle all that. But for right here, right now, these things that you care about, God, I want to care about. I'm curious about the potential pitfall of getting so passionate about a particular issue uh, that it kind of almost distracts us from the larger ideas that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. And I'm almost hesitant to say that because these issues are Mm -hmm. incredibly important. Yes. You know, if we were to go back to Jesus's day, most of his contemporaries were really, really concerned with what he was going to do about the Roman Empire. Yes. Yeah. I don't think Jesus would have said, I don't believe he did say that doesn't matter in any sense. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Like, I don't care that people are being oppressed or hurt or violated Mm -hmm. or taken advantage of. I don't care about that. That's not what he said. Right. But what he did say is that's not the work that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Is to solve that particular issue. And so Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, is there a danger of like, I'm passionate about this issue or that issue, or this is the cause that really gets me excited. Not that we can't pursue a cause. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were just talking about how can I advocate for certain Mm -hmm. groups or Mm -hmm. like, that's good work. But is there any potential there for us to get too caught up Mm -hmm. in a particular cause or issue Mm -hmm. that would be to our detriment? I definitely want to affirm paying attention to what we care about, what we end up being passionate about. There's something there. Yeah. And at the same time, I would caution and say, if we want to trust and follow Jesus, then Jesus, what do you care about? What were your priorities? How can I lean into that? And if we were to ask that question, I think that might lend itself more to some causes over others. Mm. Not saying that others might be necessarily wrong, But I think it's important to know, like, God, what do you emphasize? Clearly, caring for the poor is one of the highest on the list. It reminds me in the New Testament, Paul talks about in the letter to the Galatians, he talks to the apostles, the 11 disciples, about his message. And they compare notes, and they're like, yeah, we're on the same track on the gospel message. Mm -hmm. The apostles said, but just one more thing, remember the poor. 
And Paul says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. Even in that story of Paul, this apostle to the Gentiles, and these other apostles in Jerusalem to the Jewish people primarily, both say, okay, we're together on the message of the gospel, but make sure to remember the poor. And so they're like, yes, we're aligned on both fronts. There was no argument about like, well, we don't want to like obscure the message (laughs) by these acts of generosity or kindness. No, no, no. They both work hand in hand. Mm. And if the apostles, like capital A apostles, that's what they're into, I think that's something to pay attention to. (laughs) It's a signpost for (laughs) us, right? I'll say pay attention to it. And that's not the only issue, but that's just an example of an accent throughout Scripture when it comes to social justice. One other pitfall or potential pitfall I want to ask you about. There can be two potential approaches to acting out social justice, right? Because for us to advocate for the poor, sitting in a room and recording a podcast about it, that's not a bad thing to do, but it's probably not all that's required. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) There's there's some additional (laughs) uh, work that we're probably going to have to do in some of these areas, right? Now, we could get kind of carried away with that work potentially Mm -hmm. and say like, all right, this is up to me to solve this problem. There's kind of this opposite train of thought perhaps where we would say, well, look, the world has fallen. We've got issues. We're not going to be able to solve them, right? I mean, you you think about like world hunger. You could take the approach and say like, all right, we're going to solve world hunger. Or you could take the opposite into the spectrum and go like, this is an unsolvable problem. Mm -hmm. So why even try? Mm -hmm. Do you see potential pitfalls on either side of that? Like, is there a middle Mm -hmm. ground between those two of this is all up to me or I can't do anything Mm -hmm. about this? One way is, like you said, you see something that's so big and you kind of check out and maybe try to become indifferent. I don't want it to affect me. Yeah, I'm going to focus on some other thing. Like I'm going to write a blog post instead of like, you know, <laughs> right. again, not that those things are bad, sure. but if you and I are ducking out of our call to care for the poor by talking about caring for the poor, I just don't know <laughs> if Jesus were here, I think he'd say, huh, interesting, like, yeah. tell me more about why you're not caring for the poor, <laughs> right, yeah. right? And so I think that that's good. But the other side, and there's so many names and faces that come to mind, there's just this intensity, we're going to eradicate some social ill. I know for a fact in Scripture, that's not the way the story goes. Ultimately, Jesus is going to finish the good work that he started. Mm. We get to participate in those things, but we're not going to finish it. And so I would wrestle with that. It's very aspirational, very even at times inspirational. And yet we can actually go about God's work without him. If we do that, we will ultimately not have the strength to carry out what he's called. That's why I said names and faces, because burnout, those nonprofits that were started, they're not here anymore. These are real things that we go through. Again, the gospel message helps us. He's come. There is salvation, redemption. We can love our neighbor as ourself the way that he has loved us. And at the same time, it's like world hunger, for instance. Jesus, you will fix world hunger, period. So I have hope. And I'm going to start right here in this little way. Yeah. Be honored with this. This doesn't fix everything, but you f- you fix it. You said you're going to. This is your big job. And maybe this is the, I the, have beginning, a part. the beginning stages yes. of that work that he's doing it, through me. Almost like a preview of, of a film. Mm. Heaven on earth is coming. 
But why don't I just be a part of the preview? It could look a little bit like this. It makes me think of the meaning of the word gospel, right? Good news. Good news, yep. We're called to bring the gospel to the nations, and mm-hmm. that includes the oppressed. Yes. And part of that gospel, it's not just, here's the Romans road, yeah. right? Certainly teaching people about the nature of Christ and who he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for some good theology. Yeah, like you clearly. Know me, Justin, yeah. Right? But it also means the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Like, yes, that's also part of the gospel. Yeah. And through our social justice work in these areas, that's us bringing the gospel mm-hmm. to the nations, right? Yeah. Good news. For the sinner. You know, that's one that we hear a lot. Those who have fallen short, like me, there is good news for them. That really is amazing when you figure in the justice of God. Right, yeah. Is he says, no, for all of you who have fallen short, here's this good news of Jesus that's offered. What about the poor? Well, there's good news for that. What about the brokenhearted? There's good news for that. What of those who have been enslaved? There's good news. The good news is the same Jesus, but it takes on different facets and and there's a different view on the same good news depending on where you're coming from and how you need Jesus and really how you need the people of God, which if you serve in a very underserved area, guess what? There are certain resources that if you were to be generous and give that kind of grace, really helps them listen to the story of Jesus. Mm. In some extreme cases, like if someone is malnourished, they cannot listen and hear in the same way. Yeah. But to give that good news to the poor and also the message of Jesus, how he cares and hears their cries, both of those things together, doesn't it just make sense that that's the way it's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. We draw all these theological lines in different ways, and sometimes I think we really do more harm than good. But the good is to not only tell about Jesus, but also exemplify him to those in need. Thanks for listening to Faith Refresh. You can find more Real FM pods and tons of other cool stuff on the Real FM app and at real.fm. Faith Refresh is hosted by Justin Rusinowski, and I'm Anson Beyer. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on your platform of choice. It will help others to discover the podcast and listen for themselves. Faith Refresh is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network, a ministry of John Brown University.